0: Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and welcome to my podcast Behind You. If you're unfamiliar with my podcast, basically I come on here once a week talking about all things true crime, everything from murder, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime essentially. So if you're into any of that, you can subscribe on my YouTube channel, Haley Elizabeth, or go on over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you can find podcasts and rate behind you five stars and for today's case we are going to be talking about the case of Keith Gentry. There is a lot to go through so we're just gonna Dive right into it. We're going to start off with Darlene Doss Coswell because she is a pretty big person in this case. Darlene Doss Coswell was born in Cameron, Texas with her parents and her siblings. She was known growing up to be the pretty girl of the school. She won Homecoming Queen. She was on the flag corps at her school. And she was just known for being that girl. She had, if you know what I'm talking about, that sort of Texas beauty queen sort of look to her she was skinny she had big blonde hair blue eyes a southern accent and even in high school she knew that she was pretty and sometimes she would use it to her advantage to get out of things in high school such as she would you know try to get out of doing assignments she just she kind of had what's called pretty privilege and she knew that so she would use it to her advantage all the time. Um, All the boys had a crush on her in school. All the girls wanted to look like her and this sort of pretty privilege I guess followed her up until college. She attended Texas State Technical College to pursue being a dental assistant because she said that she hated her teeth so being in dental was the perfect route for her to take and that is when in her junior year, She met Keith Gentry. A little bit of backstory on Keith Gentry. He was born in Robinson, Texas, and he was described from family and friends to be sort of the class clown. He was always trying to make people laugh. He was a big comedian. He was always sort of pushing the limits when it came to teachers, just trying to get them to laugh essentially. And he was an overall really outgoing guy. He loved hanging out with his friends and family. He loved to go dancing and sing karaoke especially that was his favorite thing to do and besides hanging out with his friends and family he also really enjoyed hunting and fishing and it was his dream ever since he was a kid that he always wanted to have a son and with that son he was going to teach his sons how to fish and hunt and it was just something that he really wanted when he was older And then after high school, he still was the same exact Keith following into college. He was a really big class clown. He would try to make people laugh. He was just a super outgoing person whenever he would go out with his friends. And then he went to the Texas Technical College to pursue welding and drafting. And in his junior year, that is when he met Darlene. Now, Darlene said that when she first met Keith, she was really, really attracted to him because he was funny. A lot of girls find, you know, men who are funny very attractive, and so she just found this trait very, very attractive. She said that he had very kind eyes, and she just knew that she wanted to be with Keith just when she met him. And so the couple started dating in junior year, and the couple was described as at this time by friends as very Like the ideal couple, you know, because Darlene was very beautiful and Keith was very handsome and he was funny. And together, they just, you know, were the ideal couple. Their favorite thing to do was sing karaoke and go out dancing. They were very outgoing. They would try to, you know, get other people to laugh and talk with them. And then when the couple graduated, they had been dating for eight months at this point in 1997. But since both of them were 22 at the time. Keith after college he more wanted to live out his 20s he wanted to experience life he wanted to hang out with his friends more he wanted to go to parties and he just really wanted to live out his youth while he still had it but as for Darlene she was not she was the complete opposite she really wanted to settle down she was ready you know to get a full-time job to buy a house to start a family, and. And she was just really ready to, you know, start her adult life while Keith just wasn't ready to end his youth yet. And so because of this disagreement, the couple ended up breaking it off and Darlene ended up moving up to Dallas. And she stayed in Dallas for a year and that's when she was a dental assistant until, unfortunately, someone had stolen her car. And when someone did steal her car, she had no choice but to move back home. And when she did, she was reconciled connecting with all of her old friends and one night her and her friends went to go out dancing and she met up with Keith again. So her and Keith got to talking and eventually they both decided that a year's break is exactly what they needed. They felt like they were both in the same spot right now and so that is when the couple decided to start dating again. After two years of dating, Keith was now at a point in his life where he was ready to settle down. He felt like, you know, he had lived his youth to the best of his ability. He felt like he didn't really want to go out and party anymore. He was officially, you know, ready to get married, start a family, buy a house. And so he asked Arlene to marry him in 1999 and she said yes. Darlene describes hers and Keith's wedding to be a typical Texas wedding. She said that there was a big barbecue, there was rodeo dancing, and country music, and it was just a very... Texas event is what she explained it to be. After they got married Keith got a job as a traveling electrician for an architecture firm and this job although he did travel a lot it was a really good paying job and it was a job that he really enjoyed doing because he was the type of person as I said very outgoing loved to be outdoors all the time so this was a perfect job for him it 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 provided him lots of excitement, a lot of options. He saw the world through this job. And so with this job, since it was so good paying, uh, Darlene and Keith were able to afford to buy a house in Robinson, Texas, where his parents lived. And ironically, he was able to buy a house right next door to his parents' house. It was said that during this time, Darlene was a stay-at-home wife. And since she was a stay-at-home wife, she tended to be very greedy with Keith's money because as I said Keith was making a good amount of money at this point so she tended to be very greedy with his money she loved to shop and as I said she knew that she was pretty and so she tended to be more on the pricier side to keep up with her looks. So she would spend $300 trying to get her hair done all the time. She always made sure that her nails were done. She always made sure that she had the nicest clothes. Even their house had the nicest of furniture. She always made sure that the house looked spotless. She just preferred to have nicer things because they had the money for it. So then between the years of 1999 and 2003, Uh, Darlene and Keith actually had two sons back to back so during these years most of the time Darlene was pregnant and it was all while Keith still had his traveling electrician job and he was actually gone four days out of the week so he only spent the weekends and one day during the week with his family and right after Darlene had her second child she decided that she didn't want to be a dental assistant she felt like she was destined to do more and so then that's when she started to go to nursing school. Whilst attending nursing school not only did they have two sons of their own she was also pregnant with a third son and so after having this third son things got a lot more stressful money started to be a lot more tight because it wasn't just him supporting Darlene it was now him supporting Darlene and their three sons so money got extremely tight but although money was tight Darlene didn't really change her spending habits at all she still continued to drop all this money on her hair her clothes her nail and now that she had sons she would always make sure that her sons were dressed in the best clothes given the best education and so with Darlene and Keith not being able to see each other as often as they wanted to this began to strain their marriage a lot because now Darlene was practically raising three boys on her own whilst going to nursing school you know on absolutely anyone that's a very stressful situation to handle and so because Because Keith loved his family so, so much, he was willing to give up anything to just be with his family. So then that is when he decided to quit his job as the traveling electrician and just decided to get a nearby 9 to 5 office job near the house. And although it did pay less, he didn't really mind because he loved his family very much and he was willing to sacrifice that in order to just spend more time with his boys and with his wife. And so you would think that, you know, with Keith being home all the time now, that him and Darlene's marriage would actually flourish because they were spending more time together. He was spending more time with his boys. But unfortunately, this actually made the marriage a lot worse. Things got a lot more stressful. They were disagreeing over everything, basically, especially when it came to how Darlene raised the kids. It was said that Darlene, would mostly just kind of let the boys do whatever they wanted so whenever they would scream or throw tantrums or talk back there really was no consequence or punishment that Darlene would give them and Keith didn't like that. Keith thought that you know if a boy is going to talk back or speak like that there should be consequences for their actions but Darlene didn't think like that and so that is kind of where they butted heads a lot of how to raise the kids And another big argument that they would have very often is that since Keith had this new job where he wasn't making that much money as before, again, Darlene did not really change her spending habits whatsoever even though he had a lesser paying job now she still got her hair done got her nails done bought only nice clothing her boys were only wearing nice clothing she drove a nice car she had high-end furniture and because of this uh, Keith was constantly getting calls at work talking about overdrafted credit card bills and this was not only ruining His credit, but it was also draining him of all of his money. He felt like he was working so hard to make all of this money just to not have any money anymore because all of the money that he worked so hard to make was having to go to credit card bills that Darlene was racking up all the time. So then in 2005 this is when the family and friends of Keith started to notice that Keith was growing a lot more unhappy. He just didn't really seem like his normal Keith self. You could definitely tell that their marriage was starting to fall apart. Even people from the outside started to notice. At times where Darlene and Keith would have time where they could be spending together like where they were both off of work or something they just preferred to to not be together all of their free time was dedicated to being with their friends or with their family but just never together it was also very frequent that Darlene would go next door and drop her three boys off with their grandparents just for like a night so that she could go out and have drinks with her friends and she would not spend the night with Keith and so this was really odd to the grandparents as well because it's like why are we watching your three boys just so you can go out drink and party and you're not even with your husband you know And it was also in this year of 2005 where Darlene had graduated nursing school and got a job as a registered nurse. So although she was a registered nurse, she started making a little bit extra cash. But again, her cash only went to herself. She never really spent cash to help out on bills or anything like that. She just again paid money to keep up with her appearance. And although Keith was very sad in this marriage, he didn't really know what to do. He felt extremely lost. He still loved Darlene and he even told one of his friends, quote, I'm not going to leave her. I won't give up on us. So although Keith was, you know, in a very tough situation, he wasn't going to give up on him and Darlene. He was going to be there for his family because he truly did love his family so much. So then on November 9th of 2005 at around 6 a.m. the Robinson Texas police station receives a 911 call from Darlene saying that a burglar had broken into their house stole all of Keith's gun and Keith was currently in his bed. And he was unfortunately shot and currently bleeding out. Darlene tells the dispatcher that last night she had fallen asleep in the boys' bedroom and she woke up at 6 a.m. due to the baby crying. And when she woke up, she went into the kitchen, realized that the back door was open. Then she went into the living room and realized that all the guns in Keith's cabinet was gone so then when she went to go get Keith she went into the bedroom and that is when she found Keith lying on the bed blood surrounded all around him and pink foam coming out of his mouth. Minutes later the police arrive and upon arrival the police right off the bat sense that there's a there's something else going on here because Literally, right in front of the yard, there is guns stacked up on top of each other very neatly, and it was later confirmed that these were Keith's guns from the cabinet. So immediately when the police got there and they see these guns neatly stacked in front of the yard, not hidden or anything, like just in plain sight, they connect the dots that these are probably the guns from Keith's cabinet because Keith's cabinet was empty. So... They started to connect the dots very quickly that these were Keith's guns, but they didn't understand that why would the burglar neatly stack the guns in the front yard. So right off the bat, things were very confusing. And so then the police go inside to investigate further. And at the same time, Keith's father, who lives next door, walks at the end of his driveway to pick up the paper. And when he does that, he looks over next door and sees all of these police cars and ambulances in front of Keith's house so he rushes over and he talks to the police he's like who's hurt that's my son in there is keith okay what happened and the police just continuously tell him to quote stay in your own yard. So all while this is happening, the ambulances are rushing there trying to make sure Keith is okay, trying to transport him to a hospital. Darlene is on the phone with Keith's mother, who again lives next door. She basically told Keith's mother the same story that a burglar had broken into the house, stole Keith's gun, and then shot Keith. She told Keith's mother that Keith is currently fighting for his life. She then tells the mother that when she found Keith, she saw pink foam coming out of his mouth. So then the mother is completely frantic because she's hearing all of this about her own son. So she offers Darlene like, I'm going to come over. I'm going to go get the boys. We're going to come back here. It's going to be fine. But Darlene refuses. She doesn't want Keith's mother to come over. She says that the police currently have her and the three boys isolated in a room and the police are not allowing anyone to come see them. So an ambulance shows up, they take Keith and transport him to a hospital, and all while that is happening, a detective shows up to the scene to investigate what happened. And immediately when the detective gets there, he is confronted with these neatly stacked guns in the front yard, and just like how the police he already senses that something is really off about this situation. So he starts to investigate the actual home further and he finds that there is no signs of forced entry within the house because as I said she said that the back door was just wide open and the back door was just wide open and it was actually unlocked to begin with. So that means whoever did this may have had a key so maybe it wasn't a random burglar if it was a burglar burglary. So then after he investigates that, he goes over to the gun cabinet to try to figure out if the guns found in the front yard were the same guns from Keith's cabinet and he realizes that Keith's cabinet actually has a lock on it and there was a key on top of the cabinet because he had talked to Darlene about this after the fact and Darlene said that they always kept the cabinet that held all of the guns locked at all times and they had a key sitting on top of the cabinet because they didn't want to chance one of the boys opening up the cabinet and playing with the guns. So they kept the key on top of the cabinet so it was too tall for the boys to reach. And the only people that knew where this key was was Keith and Darlene. So that was also really odd to the detective, seeing as if this were a burglar, then why wouldn't the burglar just break the glass in order to get to the guns? Like how did they even know where the key was in the first place? And also if you're robbing a place, you want to get in and out of there as quick as possible. You don't care if you make noise or not. You're just trying to, you know, leave, get what you need and leave. And so that was really odd to detectives as well. They also noted... The position that Keith was in when he was found, he was found just sleeping in his bed And this was a really big red flag to detectives as well because it would make more sense if Keith were to be in the kitchen or somewhere near the cabinet, maybe out of bed, because that means the burglar would have tried to, you know, shoot Keith so that they didn't take the guns away from the burglar or maybe Keith was trying to defend himself. But then when they looked at Keith, he had absolutely no self-defense wounds on him. He looked completely, completely normal. And that was really odd because if you were a burglar going into a house like that and stealing those guns, what would be the purpose of killing Keith if he was just silently sleeping in his bed? All of these things combined, it was a really odd situation and the police didn't really believe that this was a burglar and so the first person, of course, that they point their finger to is Darlene. So they immediately take Darlene to the station and in for questioning. So Darlene's series of events goes like this. This is what she tells the police. She said that last night she went to go visit a friend in the city and she got home between 8 and 9 p.m. when she got home she said quote Keith and I sat and we talked in the living room just about normal things and of course money and what we needed to do how to get out of debt and everything else So apparently this conversation later turned into an argument because that day Keith had received a phone call at work from the credit card company saying that they had overdraft yet again another credit card and they were threatening to take the credit card away from them and so because of this it sparked a really big argument. So this argument actually got so bad to the point where Darlene left the house and she said that she had to drive around the block. For a couple of minutes, and then when she came back, Keith was calm. So then, when she got back to the house to meet with Keith, she said, "Quote, he was very calm and just said, 'Hey, this is what we got. This is what we need to do. Do you have any suggestions?' I mean, it was a very how you're supposed to have a conversation, and this." section was very important to me specifically the way that she phrased that like she she says quote how you're supposed to have a conversation as if you know Keith before was being very immature about the conversation or wasn't being mature about it and so that portion really stood out to me So then she said after they had this conversation about money issues, Keith went up to go to bed and then Darlene went to go check on her three sons because all of them had been sick that day. So then when she gets to all of the boys' bedroom, she realizes that all three of them are still awake. So she brings all of her boys into her oldest boy's bedroom who was around seven or eight years old because that boy had a TV in his room. So she brought all of the boys into his bedroom and they watched tv and eventually fell asleep until 6 a.m the baby started crying and that's what woke her up and she realized that it was 6 a.m and they need to get up and start getting ready for school so she got everyone up they went down to the kitchen to start their morning routine and that's when she found that the back door was open She looks at the back door, she assumed that maybe it was just her, and then she turns around and realizes that all of Keith's guns are gone. So she yells for Keith, and she goes over to their bedroom to inform Keith about his missing guns, and she said that when she went into the bedroom... Instead of walking into the bedroom and turning on the bedroom light to see Keith, she instead walked in the dark and into their bathroom and turned on the bathroom light, and that's how she found Keith. And so she was just looking at Keith from the light that was emitting from their bathroom. So she walks over to Keith, she kind of shakes him a little bit and calls his name, and then afterwards, that's when she got really close and she saw the pink foam coming out of his mouth and that he was surrounded by a puddle of blood underneath him. She started freaking out and then that is when she immediately ran to the kitchen to make sure that the boys weren't going to go in the bedroom because she said that she didn't want her boys seeing him like that. So she immediately called the police and then throughout the 911 call, if you listen to it, she seems very calm when she's talking about it, which is very odd, but I'll get more into the 911 call analysis later on. Hello, everyone. You were probably wondering what that crazy noise was. It's still me, just now in sponsorship mode, thanking the sponsor of today's episode, HelloFresh. If you guys don't know what a HelloFresh is, HelloFresh is a meal plan that delivers fresh ingredients straight to your door so there's no hassle of going to the grocery store or stressing over what you're gonna eat. With HelloFresh, you get pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes right at your doorstep so you can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make cooking easy, fun, and affordable, which makes sense because it is indeed America's number one meal kit. You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options, and HelloFresh is extremely flexible in that you can skip weeks when you need to, change your delivery date, or even update your preferences through the HelloFresh app. HelloFresh, might I add, is also 72% cheaper than going to a restaurant, as well as cheaper than regular trips to the grocery store. So not only are you saving your time, you're also saving your money as well. Personally from HelloFresh, I love, love, love the zucchini flatbread with like tomatoes and mozzarella. I highly, highly recommend you get yourself some. And if you want to try out HelloFresh for yourself, all you need to do is go to hellofresh.com slash behind 16 to get 16 free meals, plus three free little gifts. That is again, hellofresh.com slash behind 16. That is B-E-H-I-N-D 16 to get 16 free meals and three free gifts. So even during the questioning, they were observing Darlene and seeing how she would respond to certain questions, and they realized that during a whole two-hour interrogation, not once did Darlene ask ask about Keith. She didn't ask once what hospital he was staying at. She didn't ask how he was. She didn't ask if he was going to make it. She didn't even ask if she could go leave to see him. And so this was very important to police because if you just see the love of your life and the father of your children get shot and bleeding out on your bed, wouldn't your first priority be your husband? So her lack of acknowledgement for Keith's well being wasn't the only red flag that police had noticed during this interrogation. They also thought it was odd that Darlene, a registered nurse, didn't step in and perform some sort of first aid on Keith they thought that that was really odd that she wouldn't you know try to find the source of the bleeding and help him she just instead ran away and called the police and I'm not judging her for what she did I feel like you can't really judge someone who is put in that position unless you've been in that same exact position before because you don't really know what the right or wrong thing to do is and so she says that in this moment the reason why she didn't perform any first aid is because she was just so shocked and freaked out and she didn't know what to do and so she panicked and called the police. So then at around 5 p.m during the interrogation the police receive a phone call from the hospital saying that the bullet wound to Keith was so bad that he was actually going brain dead and so immediately when they got that call they stopped the interrogation and drove Darlene to the hospital where Darlene was greeted with all of Keith's family and friends. It was there that Darlene signed the papers for Keith to be taken off of life support and just a few minutes after he was taken off of the respirator he unfortunately passed away. Keith's father said that at this time when Darlene had received the news about Keith she looked very distraught and devastated yet there were no tears on her face and he also thought that it was pretty odd that right after all of this had happened, like right after the funeral, she tended to move on quite quickly. And so although Darlene was starting to move on with her life, the police definitely were not moving on on Darlene. They were observing a lot of the things that she said and realized there were so many inconsistencies in her story, such as how Keith was clearly shot because they found a bullet. They just thought that it was odd that Darlene would wake up to the sound of a baby crying, but wouldn't wake up to the sound of a gunshot right next door. They also thought that it was really odd that the only two people who knew where the key to the gun cabinet was were both in the home, yet one of them is now dead. They also noticed, whilst reviewing her interrogation, that every time they would bring up a subject, she would always figure out a way on how to bring the story back to her. When she was explaining, the morning of events she kept on mentioning how the whole situation was traumatic for her and how she was so scared and how she was panicking and everything that was going on in her head yet she didn't really seem to mention how her kids were reacting to all of this or how keith's parents was reacting or how keith himself was reacting And when examining the 911 phone call, they realized that Darlene was being a little bit too calm on the phone, and they also noticed that it took Darlene an entire 25 seconds to tell the police that her husband was currently shot and bleeding out. This was a really big piece of evidence for the police because they thought, you know, if you see something as traumatic as that, as your husband bleeding out, and he has been shot, the first thing you would say on the phone is that my husband's been shot but instead she took the 911 dispatcher into her entire morning routine before getting to the point where she says that Keith had been shot and it kind of seemed like she had rehearsed this story so she was just telling the dispatcher this story she had pre-prepared that evening the police were examining all of the evidence that they got from the household and they were looking through all of the gun certificates and receipts and they found that the guns in front of the house were indeed Keith's guns but he was missing one of his guns and that was a 9 shot 22 caliber and since this was the only gun that was missing they decided to take a look at Keith's autopsy and they found that the bullet found in Keith's head was indeed a 22 caliber bullet So, because of this, their main mission at this point quickly switched to trying to find the murder weapon because they figured, you know, what are the odds that a .22 was found inside of Keith's head and a .22 is missing from Keith's collection. So, they assumed that this .22 caliber was the murder weapon and whoever was in possession of this .22 caliber was the murderer. And so, they tried to figure out scenarios where Darlene wouldn't be a suspect, where she would actually be a victim in this situation, but the detective said that no matter who they pointed the crime at, if it could be Keith's mom, Keith's dad, a friend, one of the three boys, they felt like all of the evidence just ended up pointing at Darlene. So they brought back Darlene for questioning again, but this time they were a little bit more interrogating on her. They were kind of cornering her a little bit so they started saying things like oh don't you think that it's a little odd that you and Keith were the only people that knew about the key on top of the cabinet and now Keith is dead but you're still alive and they also told her that you know isn't it weird that a burglar would kill a man for guns and then end up neatly stacking those guns in the front yard and so because of this Darlene felt very overwhelmed and she demanded an attorney and so since she did demand an attorney she was sent home. So over the next few days now that they know what the murder weapon is they spend all of their time trying to look for not only a murder weapon but also a motive to kill Keith. The police questioned family and friends about uh, Darlene and Keith and every one of them had amazing things to say about Keith but not many people said very good things about Darlene. A lot of people expressed That Darlene was not a good fit for Keith. They told the police that Darlene was very money hungry and would tend to take a lot of Keith's money. She was constantly racking up all these credit card bills and she didn't really care about Keith. She just really cared about the money and keeping up with her appearances. And so now that the police are hearing this for the first time about Darlene's spending habits and her, you know, need for money and need to look good and have a good, you know, scenery around her all the time. That is when the police started to dive in that maybe there was a financial motive. So they look into life insurance policies, and whilst looking into there, they find that Keith actually had two life insurance policies that, when put together, totaled around $750,000. The family of friends also told the police that although Keith was very sad in the marriage and that he was severely in debt, his credit was terrible because of Darlene's spending habits. She sort of manipulated him to stay. She would say certain things and do certain things and for some reason he was always ended up staying and a lot of his family and friends were like what are you doing? Don't stay with her. She's clearly using you for money but for some reason Keith just really really loved Darlene and felt like if he worked hard enough he would be able to make this marriage work. So with all of the evidence in place and all of the things that were pointing Darlene towards the crime on November 27th of 2005, the police got a warrant for Darlene's arrest on suspicion of the murder of Keith. And at this time, none of the public knew of all of the evidence that the police had. So when Darlene was arrested, it was a really big shock to Keith's family, especially. Keith's parents at this point, Did not suspect Darlene at all. They felt that she was too sweet, too nice, and innocent to do such a horrendous crime like this. And they really thought that, you know, there's no reason Darlene would shoot Keith. That's so violent and that's not like Darlene. And so all of Keith's friends felt like this as well. They felt like Darlene was innocent. And so on that same exact day, through everybody, you know, getting together and helping, she was able to make her. $50,000 bail and was sent home that very night. So during this time, since they couldn't really stay at their house because their house was considered a crime scene, Keith's parents actually allowed Darlene and her three boys to live with them for the time being. And so over the month of November, it was Darlene versus the police. They were constantly going back and forth. Darlene kept on preaching her innocence, yet the police just had a deep gut feeling that Darlene was behind all of this. And as I said earlier, Darlene tended to move on quite quickly from all this. So by the end of November, not even a month after Keith had been shot and unfortunately passed away, Darlene had called her real estate friend named Robert and asked him if he had any properties because she was looking to buy a new home with all of this life insurance money. So he said that unfortunately he doesn't have any houses on the market but he does have three pieces of land that she could actually build a home off of. So she meets up with Robert. They take a look at these three pieces of land and there's this one specific piece of land that had a big pond. So Darlene asked Robert, hey, does this land come with the pond? And he's like, yeah, it's all yours. Like this land comes with this pond. And Darlene said in that moment, she was like, I'll take it then because it was Keith's dream to teach the kids how to fish when they got older and I want to fulfill Keith's wish. So I want this pond so that my kids can go fishing and we could just, you know, live a happy new life on this land. And so Robert was completely okay with it. He was like, yeah, you know, the pond is yours. And that was a really big reason why Darlene wanted the land in the first place. So then, by the end of December, when they were finalizing everything with buying this piece of land, they go out there to check out the land one last time. And Darlene weirdly asks Robert again if the land comes with this pond. And Robert says, yes, of course it comes with the pond. This is the reason why you wanted the land. So... Darlene says to Robert that she doesn't want the pond anymore and if there's a way for her to not have the pond on her land and so Robert's like that's not how buying property works like you can't just pick and choose which part of the land you want you have to buy all of it and so Darlene puts up a fight a little bit and she's like okay well if the land has to come with the pond then I just want the pond filled and he's like okay, you can have the pond filled. That's completely your property at this point. But going home from that interaction, Robert just felt deep in his heart that there was something odd going on. He just had a really weird feeling about why Darlene wanted the property for the pond and then all of a sudden didn't want the pond anymore. So he goes ahead and he calls his police officer friend. He explains the situation and he's like, I don't know, but I feel like there's something going on with that pond. And so the police feel the same exact way and they're thinking, what you're probably thinking right now that the murder weapon is probably in that pond and Darlene didn't want the pond anymore because she didn't want to be the owner of that pond, meaning she would be the owner of possession of the murder weapon. So on January 4th of 2006, they sent a diver team out to the pond and in there they found Keith's missing twenty-two caliber sitting at the bottom of pond and so then shortly after this the police wanted a little bit more evidence because they said yes the murder weapon was here but we need to point something more that you know that she was the one that put this weapon here we can't use like excuses as to why it was here and so then that is when the police decide to set up Darlene essentially and what they decide to do is they tell Robert to call Darlene and tell Darlene, hey, in order to fill the pond, we actually need to drain the pond first. Once Darlene hears the news that they're going to drain the pond, then she would most likely go back to the pond to retrieve the murder weapon to prevent anyone from finding it. But what Darlene doesn't know is that in the woods off to the side of the pond, there is a hidden camera recording the entire thing. So Robert calls Darlene, tells her that the pond is going to be drained and exactly how the police thought they caught Darlene on camera going over to the pond. She's there for 15-20 minutes and she's in the pond with a large stick and she's poking at the same exact area as the gun was found. So over the course of this 15 minute clip you can tell that as time goes on she starts to become a lot more restless, a lot more frantic and you can definitely tell it's Darlene because as I said Darlene had big blonde hair. It's not very very hard to miss and so she was there for 15-20 minutes until eventually giving up essentially and so then she gets in her car and drives off so once the police get that footage they're like okay this is I think we have enough evidence to arrest her now so then on January 11th of 2006 Darlene was arrested on the first degree murder of her husband Keith and although there was no confession there was a lot of evidence to point her to the crime. So then on February 6th of 2007, all of Keith's family and friends were at Darlene's trial. And one of Keith's friends said that Darlene was, quote, playing this pretty blonde mother of three boys character and that nobody would ever believe she could ever do something this horrendous. The court opens up with strong arguments against Darlene, basically saying all of the main strong arguments that I mentioned in this video so far that immediately kicks Darlene's sweet, innocent act right out the window. They mentioned that it was really odd that whoever broke into this house, if it were to be a burglar, that the burglar wouldn't just break the glass window in order to get to the guns but they knew that there was a key on top of the cabinet to which they unlocked it and took out all of the guns and they thought that that was really odd because again a burglar would usually just break down the window and the only people that knew where that key was located was Keith and Darlene. They also pointed out the very odd occurrence that the burglar had shot keith sleeping in his bed they thought that if keith were to be you know protecting his guns or if keith were to see the burglar that would make a difference but instead keith was just shot cold in his own bed and what would be the purpose of killing keith if the robber had apparently not disturbed a single person in that house They also found it very odd that if this burglar's main motive into stealing from this house was to take all of the guns, why would the burglar stack all of the guns very neatly in front of the house for all to see if he or she just killed a man to get those guns? Because again, these guns were stacked very nice and neatly and if you were a robber trying to escape from a house because you just shot someone, it's going to take you a little bit of time to stack guns, you know? That's not something that you just, you know, it'd make more sense if the guns were thrown, but these were very nicely stacked in front of the house as if it was waiting for someone to look at them. They also bring Darlene's very suspicious 911 call into question saying that they thought it was very odd that Darlene was not only very calm on the phone call, but she did not mention that... Keith was even shot and or needed medical attention until twenty five seconds into the call. And it more just sounded like a rehearsed story rather than her being very frantic and everything happening in that moment. They also brought into question that they thought it was very odd that Darlene being a registered nurse of a couple years now, almost three years, that she did not try to perform any sort of first aid onto him. Darlene tries to argue this and say that when she made the 911 call, she was just such in shock and she was panicking and so that's why she didn't administer first aid and that's why she sounded very calm. She said that she wanted to sound very calm for the sake of her children because she knew that if her children saw her screaming and crying, then they would start screaming and crying so she had to keep her composure for them. But at the trial, Robert, the real estate agent, also came to the stand and said, said the whole story about how Darlene wanted this pond and then all of a sudden she didn't want this pond and then at, ironically, the time she didn't want the pond is where the murder weapon was found. And once Robert is saying his side of the story and talking about all of the odd things that Darlene had said to him about how Darlene wanted the pond and now she didn't want the pond and how the murder weapon was found, he then goes into the story of how the police had secretly recorded Darlene after the fact and that is when the court shows the footage of Darlene going back to the pond just 15 minutes after Robert had called her and told her that the pond was going to be drained but little did Darlene know at this point that this footage was being taken that the police were already in possession of the gun so no matter how hard Darlene looked in that pond she was never going to find the gun because it wasn't there anymore So Darlene's team didn't know about this footage, so this was very, very hard to argue as to why she went back to the pond. So Darlene tried to argue it as well as she could. She said that the reason she went back and started looking is because she actually heard a rumor that the murderer had dumped the murder weapon in there. And the court just didn't buy this because they said, what are the odds that you are looking in the same exact spot? that the weapon was found. How would you know where to look? Wouldn't you kind of look all around? And also, why wouldn't you tell the police that the murder weapon was there? Wouldn't it make more sense if the police handled it rather than you? And so the court did not buy this story whatsoever. So then on February 8th of 2007, it took the jury five hours, but eventually they came to a verdict and the jury found her guilty of the murder of her husband, Keith Gentry, and sentenced her to 60 years in prison. So immediately after she was sentenced to prison, she tried to appeal her sentence saying that she was being filmed without her consent and that the police had accused her since the very beginning. And the reason being of this um is because in the very beginning, you can hear as the police are on scene once everything just happened The police are on scene and you can hear them in their mics saying things like, something smells fishy here, I think she did it, and basically accusing Darlene of the crime on the day of the crime. So Darlene used this to her advantage. She said that the police, straight from the beginning, weren't looking at any other suspects, but they just accused her because she felt like... It was easier for the cops to accuse her so that they didn't have to do their job and try to find the actual burglar. But Darlene was declined of this and she still remains in prison to this day and she is scheduled to be released in 2067. So when she's nearing 90 years old and so chances are she's probably going to die in prison. As far as the aftermath of everything, the boys are now living with their grandparents, or they were at the time. I'm not really sure where the boys are at now. They're probably a lot older now, honestly, so I couldn't really find any information regarding the boys. They tend to, all of them, tend to live very private lives, um, except for the grandparents. The grandparents are still very frequent in the media. They actually just did a snapped documentary a couple of years ago about the murder of Keith. And so once that footage was shown at court of Darlene sifting through the pond right afterwards and looking in the same exact spot that the murder weapon was found, that is when Keith's parents said that in that moment they knew Darlene had done it and it absolutely shattered their heart because they took Darlene in as if she was their own daughter. They loved Darlene. They, you know, fed Darlene. They took care of her boys. They really cared for her. And for her to have killed their own son and in such a violent way, it was just the biggest betrayal they could ever feel. And so now they truly do believe that Darlene had done it. Although even to this day, Darlene still preaches innocence. She still continues to say that she is not responsible responsible for this. Um, everyone now believes that Darlene had to have done it. There's really no other way of looking at it because if you did go with the burglar analogy, it just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. All Everything points at Darlene and whether the motive was money or maybe the motive was just very spontaneous, maybe it was just more in the moment rather than the motive being money, no one knows. No one knows what actually went down that night. No one knows how anything happened. No one knows if the boys themselves had heard the gunshot. No one knows because Darlene never confessed. Therefore, we never got the true justice that Keith needed. So that is it for today's story i hope you guys found this interesting and if you did make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe on youtube or if you're listening to this on spotify apple or wherever you can find podcasts make sure to rate it five stars because it really helps me out a lot as for the families i hope everyone associated in this situation has come to peace or is trying to cope as well as they can I can't even you know put into words how just terrible this whole situation is and the betrayal and heartbreak they experienced through all of this not just losing their own son or their own father but also figuring out that you're you know daughter-in-law or your mother had done this it's just it it's you know it's unimaginable and so I just hope that everyone in this situation is healing as well as they can. As I said, the grandparents, um, they still speak about Keith's story. They try to raise awareness about it. Um, They speak with, you know, news outlets and different documentary channels about it. And Darlene now still is in prison. She still does interviews. And yeah, so that is the end of today's story again if you guys found this interesting make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe and if you want to follow me on any of my social medias like my instagram that will be linked down below in the youtube description as well as my p.o box if you want to send me anything and so yes that is all from me i hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your morning day or night whenever you are listening to this or watching this make sure to get outside today drink some water eat some good food, do something that makes you happy today, and be safe out there. Okay, I'll see you. I'll see you next week. Bye.